Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our series in Acts. Yeah, our children's ministry. I'm so excited about it, and I, we still need a few more volunteers. So if you are eager uh, to be a part of the future of uh, not only the church, but the kingdom of God, the, the future changers of the world. You can invest uh, one Sunday a week, a uh, month rather, um, and make a difference. So if that's you, uh, sign up at the table out in the patio, or you can go online and uh, sign up that way as well. But I think it'd be better. I'm afraid you'll forget. So just go out to the table out there and uh, say, yeah, I'm going to be a part of the future. Also, this Friday night, I'm hosting a friend of mine from Richmond, Virginia, David Bailey. Uh, David has been a prolific uh, presenter on racial reconciliation. And you just think of all the issues of racial reconciliation that have uh, existed, not just contemporary-wise in America right now, but just worldwide. I mean, if you think of anti-Semitism, if you think of all the different wars that have happened uh, you know, over the centuries, it's hard for humanoids uh, to get along. And, and oftentimes, uh, people feel threatened when someone is different than they are. And uh, so I asked David, who's, who's produced this movie, called 11 a.m. Uh, to come and not only give us, show us the movie, which is phenomenal, but uh, to, to lead us in a conversation, a discussion. And if you're sitting here today saying, well, I wonder if I should go or I shouldn't go. It's Friday night. Uh, you know, I could go on out, out on a heavy date instead. Um, well, and let me encourage you to come and be there because I'm, you know, the person that needs to be there is the person that says, you know what, I, I don't have any issues, I'm good. Uh, you know, I think everyone is fine, I'm good. You're exactly the person uh, I want to have there because uh, really what I'm looking for is feeling, understanding, and empathy. That it, until you and I walk in somebody else's shoes, uh, I'm not good. I need to understand what someone of a different race goes through here in Carlsbad, Southern California. Uh, we're not talking about Mississippi or anything else. Uh, and and I, I have interviewed tons of people to find out what, what is the situation right here in North Coastal County. And this is uh, the church's best foot forward. Uh, we, from the very beginning, the Apostle Paul made it clear that we were not a group that was of any particular race. Uh, that there is neither Gentile nor Jew nor male nor female, bond or free, that you know, we are all one in, in Christ. And so we are the great beacons of hope in this regard. And it, and it allows the church to lead on a, a very important issue that then sets us up to be the preachers and proclaimers of the gospel. So uh, I hope you'll come out and, and join me this Friday night as I host David Bailey. Well, before I pray, let me just say that I loved uh, listening to Ryan Pfeiffer. I listened, I watched online, and it was just a great message about Mary and Martha. It's a story we've known, but what a great spin to cast us into the school year. Wasn't that awesome? Did you enjoy that? 
Well, this morning and next week, we come to our two final messages on the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts uh, for about six months, and it's been a great study for us to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and so beneficial for me uh, to see his life knowing that he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So it's not just his writing, it's, it's actually his life that we've been studying. And one of the strong things that we've looked at, which is curious for us as Americans, is what do we do in the face of persecution? What do we do when we're accused of either being a Christian or falsely accused? And Paul is this case study that we're able to project our lives into and ask the question, what would happen for me? So here's a question for you. Um, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence on you to prove that you were a Christian? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. It's just a, it's just a good question. And if we went one step further, would the accusations against you be more caricatures that the media does about Christians, uh, that they're judgmental or they're bigots or they're narrow-minded or they're heavenly, so heavenly-minded, no earthly good, or whatever anyone, would they be more caricatures of you or would they actually be accusations regarding what it means to be a Christian? Do we really know what it is at the core, what does it mean to be a true believer in Jesus Christ? And then finally, would I be able to communicate that, to articulate that to somebody else? So we're going to watch the Apostle Paul in action in three different court cases, how he handles himself defending the gospel, and we're going to put ourselves in, in that situation. Uh, what's beautiful about this is this is the pinnacle of the book of Acts. You've been with us all these weeks, and everything Luke, Dr. Luke has been writing is leading up to this moment. So you are blessed among all people to be here the Sunday morning that we study the pinnacle of the book of Acts. So let's take a moment to pray and dive in. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to your word. It's our prayer, God, that your Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts to receive what you personally have for us today. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin in, in verse 23 of chapter 23. And this is going to help those of you that weren't with us two weeks ago to catch up and to take us in where we're going today. We read in verse 23, then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. So this is a total of 470 soldiers altogether to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul, that is multiple horses, because it's like Pony Express. A horse can only travel so far, and we've got to keep moving. So we need multiple horses so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. So what's happened is Paul, as you know, was uh, accused in the temple 
of defiling the temple. He hadn't done that. A riot ensued. The commander of the Roman army in Jerusalem barged in with the soldiers to rescue Paul's life, assuming Paul had done something wrong, was about to beat him when Paul says, I don't think you can do that to a Roman citizen legally. And he says, oh, you're a Roman citizen. Okay. And he says, by the way, can I speak to the people? And Paul has this wonderful moment that's short-lived where he gets to actually speak to his own flesh and blood. He's Jewish, they're Jewish. He's a Pharisee, the most conservative sect of all of Judaism. He's speaking to the people. He's dreamed of this moment his whole life where he gets to speak to all of his relatives about the hope that he has. But he gets to one word, and another riot ensues, and he says, Gentiles, that I have been called to the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. Gentiles are to be included in the great story of salvation in the Bible. It's all throughout the prophets. But as the story went on and and, and kind of got uh, sectarianized, Jews were not eager to see Gentiles come to faith and become a follower of Yahweh Jehovah as well. And so Paul represented something that was the antithesis of what they, they believed. And that you might even say there was racism there, that uh, we don't want Gentiles. And Paul is saying, yes, we do want Gentiles. So that ended the discussion. The next morning, Paul is brought before the Sanhedrin, and he presents his case to the Sanhedrin, which are 70 men. And if you can imagine, it's not just uh, one monolithic group. There's Sadducees and Pharisees. Sadducees are the more liberal, uh, not politically, but more liberal theologically. Uh, And the, the Pharisees are more conservative. And what happens is Paul says, I believe in the resurrection. And immediately the Pharisees who do believe in the resurrection and the Sadducees don't, a fight ensues in amongst the Sadducees. What happens out of that is the commander listens to this whole thing and he says, this is more like a religious issue, not a civic court case, but I don't know what to do. So I'm going to ship Paul to Felix. I'm going to ship him over to Caesarea. And that's exactly what happens. And he includes this letter. And I think it's amazing to read what Luke got his hands on the letter, included it in the book of Acts. That's amazing to me. And he wrote this letter as follows. Claudius Lysias to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him, but I came in by my troops, rescued him, for I had learned that he was a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him before their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or punishment or imprisonment. So when I was informed of a plot to be carried out against this man... I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. Antipatris. 
Next day, they let the Calvary go on with him while they returned to the barracks. So then it was just the Calvary, the 70 that went on once they got away from the danger zone of Jerusalem. When the Calvary arrived at Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province Paul was from learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case. That, that's part of my jurisdiction uh, when your accusers get here. When he ordered that Paul, then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. This is a big deal. For you and I in San Diego, it's like, whatever, all these people. Let, let me just have you look at the map for a second so you can picture what's really going on. So Paul is down here in Jerusalem, and and there's a plot against his life, so he wants to take Paul up to Caesarea. That's about 75 miles. 75 miles is from Poinsettia, Carlsbad, to Knott's Berry Farm. That's seven, now you know where 75 miles are. And, and you, you can't, by foot or by horse, travel that far in one day. So they leave at 9 o'clock at night, travel through the night, and uh, the next day, and they come to Antipatris, where they spend the night, and then go on the next 30, 35 miles to get to Caesarea, which is right below Haifa, modern-day Haifa. And when the, the Pharisees from the Sanhedrin come down, there's a key person that they've appointed to be the prosecutor. So there, this is a real court case. And the prosecutor's name is Tertullus. So we come to verse 1 of chapter 24. And it says, five days later, the high priest, Ananias, went down to Caesarea with some elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. See, lawyers, you lawyers here, you're important. You're in the Bible. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. So Tertullus passionately and graciously brings to Felix three charges against the apostle Paul. The first charge is that Paul is a troublemaker, stirring up riots among Jews all over the world. That is not true. Paul doesn't go around stirring up riots. He is not someone that tries, but some riots have occurred accidentally, right, the, for people that have been upset with Paul. So maybe a little gray truth there, uh, or a white lie. The second charge is that, um, that he's the ringleader, or a ringleader, of the Nazarene sect. This, again, is hard for moderners, because many people just think of Christianity as a worldwide religion, but in the initial stage of Christianity, it was entirely a Jewish religion. Perhaps the first 70 believers were all Jewish in the Jerusalem, Judea area, and it wasn't until the gospel spread up to Syria and then beyond that Gentiles, non-Jews, began to come to faith. So in the early days, there was not even a word called Christians. There was not even a word called Christianity. What did they call them? They called them members of the way. It was called the way, and it was a subset of Judaism, a sect. Just like Pharisees were a sect, 
The Qumran people, the Essenes of the Dead Sea Scrolls area, they were a sect, the Sadducees were a sect, and the way was considered a sect of Judaism. And so he's considered to be a ringleader. Kind of true, but worldwide, you know, Paul's rarely in Jerusalem. Worldwide, he's not recognized as a leader of the Nazarene sect. They wouldn't even know that word. And then the third accusation is that he tried to desecrate the temple. And this goes back to what happened that day in the temple. Paul was accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple courts where only the Jews could go. And it wasn't true. Paul didn't do that. But that's what he, he was accused of. And so Tertullus finishes making his charges against Paul. Get out your remote control and push pause. This is really interesting to me, and I think it should be to you, because Paul is accused of things that he's not guilty of. These are either caricatures or stereotypes, things that people have said about people said about people said, but this is not true, and if Paul was going to be guilty of being a Christian, this is not the charge. And oftentimes, this is what happens to you and me. The things that people think about you or might say behind your back are actually not the things that are true about what it means to be a Christian. For example, when I became a Christian, people said things behind my back that had been my friends, but now I was somehow this different creature, a Christian. Uh, and, and so they said different things about me that hurt my feelings, but they actually weren't true. Uh, Mark is so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good anymore. I, I came to faith in Christ because I was thinking about this issue, not because I was brainless. Uh, you know, to save his heart, he cut off his head and doesn't think anymore. That wasn't true. I thought it through tenaciously. Um, I was said to be narrow-minded. Now, you know, they think that that's the only way. He's a narrow-minded person. No, actually, I think that Christianity is one of the most universal religions ever because it's inclusive of everybody coming to faith regardless of gender, regardless of nationality, so forth. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Uh, Even one that he's just not fun anymore because he's a Christian. That... And what that meant was I didn't want to do certain things that they wanted to do that I considered to be immoral. Uh, But I thought I was still fun. (laughs) And the things that are said about you are the same. Now, let me say this. Um, Most of you, some of you are looking at me like, I I am shocked to think that anyone has ever said anything about me or thought anything about me. I'm not trying to make you paranoid that there's people out there that are saying things about you. But even if they haven't said anything, they have thought something about you. You have relatives. Yeah, you're smiling there. You have relatives that have opinions about you. They think that because he prays now for meals that he's somehow better than the rest of us because we never said grace and he always wants to say grace now when we get together as relatives. 
or at the cooler at work. You know, he's always wasting his time going to church. I don't get it. Well, you know, and then there's social media and the media itself that it caricatures, characterizes Christians a certain way based on voting. And here's the problem for you and me. Oftentimes, here it is in a nutshell, we are known more for the peripheral, secondary, and third degree issues rather than the primary issue of what it means to be a Christian. I had a relative who, uh, when he came to faith, my uncle, when he came to faith, he was a salesman, and he became this amazing evangelist who was just bringing people to Christ everywhere. But he was also uh, became an amazing nutritionist. And as a Christian, he had the belief that our bodies were the temple of God, and so what people do with their bodies is as important as what they do with their soul. Common belief today, right? very holistic, and what people do in society is as important as what we do with our soul. So how we vote is just as important. But here's what happened. He stopped talking about Jesus and started talking always about nutrition. He was an evangelist now for nutrition, not for Jesus. And I have friends that are evangelists for the Republican and Democratic Party now that are not evangelists for Jesus. And I'm not saying those issues aren't important. And I tread lightly because I know how dear this is to everybody here. We have blue people here, we have red people here, and we have purple people here. And uh, so I must be very, very careful. But my point is, is there a hole in your holism that you're so whole about all these other issues and how Jesus cares about all these other issues that you have forgotten what it means to be a believer and what it means to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, we're, we're so guilty of the stereotypes and the peripheral issues that oftentimes we would not be found guilty for the core issue of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. The early church was accused of some peripheral issues that were not true. You probably aren't aware of it, but the early church was accused, one, of being cannibals. Did you know that? I'm talking halfway through the second century. So about 150 to 180 AD, uh, Christians were accused of being cannibals because non-Christians heard that at their services, they ate the body and the blood of somebody. And so that rumor got spread, and Irenaeus, in, in one of his defenses, defends why we are not uh, cannibals. Another issue was the fact that Christians were anti-Rome, that we were anti-Caesar. How did that happen? Well, Christians used the word kurios, which is the word, Greek word for Lord, and they reserved that for Jesus alone right? And so they reserved that word for Jesus alone, and then 
the emperor called himself Curios. So some lesser hirelings decided to make Christians say that Caesar was Curios. And they said, no, I can't say that. And because they would reserve that word for Jesus alone, they were killed or persecuted, saying that they were anti-Rome, when that was a false accusation. Almost always, the, the persecution that happens and the thoughts that people have about us are secondary or false accusations. I think I made my point. So Paul goes ahead and makes his defense here in verse 10 of chapter 24, and he says that the charges are false, and I can tell you what is unique about me and what is upsetting them. So he goes on to say, I was only in Jerusalem less than 12 days. Uh, they didn't find me arguing in the temple. I'm in verse 20, 12, or stirring up crowds. They can't prove any of these charges. However, I do admit that I worship God and I am a follower of the way, meaning I'm very honored to be associated with the name of Jesus. I don't know about these false things, but that part I'm proud to be associated with. And all I simply do is believe what the Bible teaches, what the law and the prophets say, that there's a hope coming named the Messiah. I believe he came, he died, and he rose again from the dead. And my friends, that is the core message of the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins, and he rose again from the dead. Have you forgotten? These second issues are so important. They, they, they do impact our lives. How you vote is important. It does, how you eat is important. If you exercise, how you do that is important. But that is not the gospel. The good news is that God so loved the world. And my friends, there is no governor, there's no mayor, there's no president that can bring you the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no official that can save you from your sins. And that is the message that this world needs to hear. And Christians cannot be silent in this critical time where we of all, often are being called in so many different directions that we would lose the core of who we are. So Paul goes on to say in verse 17, after an absence of several years, I came back to Jerusalem with gifts for the poor to present offerings. And there were some Jews from Asia in verse 19 who ought to be here if they're going to bring an accusation. But they were the ones that started this whole mess. And then I stood before the Sanhedrin in verse 20 and verse 21. He says, the only thing they could find out about me was that I believed in the resurrection from the dead. And so there was nothing they, they had on me. Then verse 22, Felix decides. He says, when Lysias, the commander who took care of this whole thing, when he comes down, uh, I'll he hear your case. So privately, this is fascinating, privately Felix and his Jewish wife, Drusilla, come often to speak with Paul about faith. In verse 25, they study about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. 
Folks, when you and I read this kind of stuff, we read it with 21st century eyes. Our attention span is nine minutes. And so we, we, we have no attention span whatsoever to sit. Uh, ancients had attention span of hours. When I've traveled to third world nations or what we would call developing nations, I am amazed. Uh, Ed and I were once uh, in the hills of Nepal. Now, these people had traveled for hours to hear what we had to say. And I gave a Bible study for an hour and a half, and they said, is that all you got? <laughs> Surely you have more. And so I said, yeah, well, let's keep going. We were there for hours. And, you know, it's just the attention span. So when we see and read that Felix and Drusilla were there, that you have to imagine this conversation was deep and profound and went on for hours. Probably we have a compressed uh, account here of even the court case. It was probably much, much longer than this. But notice, when Paul spoke of righteousness, how are you made righteous as a Christian? By faith alone in Jesus Christ. He spoke of self-control. How can you learn to have control over yourself? All the self-control in the world without Christ won't get you ultimately there. You cannot be the little engine that could, that just, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can be God, I think I can. You just can't. You need God's help to overcome some of your faults. It's called sanctification and transformation. Paul speaks about that, and then he speaks about judgment, that you will be saved in the end because of Christ Jesus. Well, when Felix gets to this very issue, Felix, uh, it, it says, becomes afraid. And he says, that's enough for now. And he gets up and leaves. So first court case over. Now there's a very disturbing verse. Two years, verse 27, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Ah, imagine yourself to be Paul. Two years! Can you imagine just sitting? What are you doing? We don't know of any letters that came out of Paul when he was in Caesarea for two years. Think of this. Jesus appeared to you in Jerusalem and said, Paul, you're doing good. Remember that? We studied it two weeks ago. Attaboy. You, as you testify to the Sanhedrin, you have to testify in Rome. I'm going to take care of you. And now here I sit. Have you ever had to wait on God? How are you doing with that little buddy? <laughs> I want it, and I want it now. You promised me. I think, I, I, God, you gave me the verse. You gave me some friends to encourage me. And here I am still dealing with waiting to go to Rome. Had to be the most difficult. Listen, all I want to say about that is, please, my friends, do not doubt in the darkness, what God has spoken to you in the light. If God has spoken to you and encouraged you, don't be discouraged now. This is not the time to give up. This is the time for you and I to press on 
and to go straight ahead. So now we come to the second court case, and I'm going to speed this up uh, in verse 20, verse 1 of chapter 25. I won't read the verses, but I'll just tell you how this court case goes on because it's very similar to the first one. We have a new governor in town. His name is Festus. He only rules for two years before he dies. But uh, he replaces Felix, and he takes over all the different cases that are left unsolved, and one of them is the Apostle Paul. So he first goes up, meets with the leaders in Jerusalem. They ask Festus to bring Paul up there. He says, no, you got to come down here. And they have a second court case. And so Paul, one more time, defends himself. And this time, he says, and I want to jump down to verse 11, Paul appeals to Caesar. The Festus says, are you willing to go back up and testify in Jerusalem? Because I think this is a religious court case, not a civil court case. And Paul says, no, I appeal to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, he has the right to appeal and, and make this a secular trial. What I love about Paul here is he, he actually dictates his future. A lot of times as Christians, we're like these limp rags that just say, I don't know, I'll just leave it up to God. Whatever God wants, I don't know. I don't know. When God gives you an option and you have an opinion, go for it. God's big enough to say no, right? Let me give you an example. Some of you might be offended from this example, uh, but I mean no offense. It's just a, a, a fun little example. But some of us don't know what to order when we go out to eat. You know, I mean, the menu is this thick, and, and you know, and everybody's talking, and I, I just don't know. And, you know, I like meat, but I like fish, but I like Mexican, but I like Italian, and I just like, I just don't know. And so we turn to the waiter, and we say, well, what do you like? And the waiter says, well, I actually am anti-food, uh, so <laughs> I, I can't eat this, 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 so this is what I like. Um, you know, it's air with uh, uh, a little bit of dressing on it. And you say, I'll go for that. And I think, for heaven's sakes, you're you. This is your one chance to, to individuate and say, I'm going to go for fish tacos. Yeah, it might be risky. I might hate them. But make a decision, Right? So obviously, if you're the person that just says, I don't know, I'm going to let the waiter decide, I mean no offense. <laughs> but in life, in life, I know you believe in the sovereignty of God. I know you believe in the providence of God, and God is steering and guiding you. But that doesn't happen by you saying, I just don't know what that God uses your choice. He gave you a free will and he's sanctifying you and he's teaching you things so that you might make decisions of wisdom. So when you come to those junctures, don't cop out. Say, you know, this is what I think. Paul could have been wrong. Maybe he was supposed to go back to Jerusalem. God can steer him that way, but he says, no, I appeal to Caesar. And the response is, then to Caesar you will go. So now we come to the great part of this morning, which is chapter 25, beginning in verse 13. 
A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their requests, their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said there was a man here whom Paul, Felix had left as a prisoner. And he begins to tell him about Paul. And he says in verse 19, the dispute is about a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed is alive. And Agrippa responds in verse 22, I would like to hear this man myself. And the response is, tomorrow you will. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and prominent men of the city. A command of Festus was made and Paul was brought in. Can you imagine this? Again, Carlsbad people are just like, whatever. But listen, this is huge. This is huge. And I, and I took an old medieval artist so that you could just picture this for a moment. So here's Festus. Here's King Agrippa. And, and here's his wife, Priscilla. Is that Bernice, I mean. Sorry, Bernice. Uh, <laughs> Bernice. The other one was Drusilla. And, and here's Paul. But these are military dignitaries. These are dignitaries from the city. Luke wants you to know that this is one of the pinnacles of Paul's career, where he actually gets to speak to these. This is the moment your, your CEO, your mother-in-law, and the neighbor down the street want to know, what is this thing you believe? You're on. The spotlight is on you. What are you going to say? What are you going to do? Got it? This is the moment. And so Agrippa gives Paul permission to speak, and we have Paul's response. This is one of the greatest moments in all of the Bible. King Agrippa, verse 2 of chapter 26, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And then in verse 4, the Jewish people... They have known me, in verse 6, 5, they have known me for a long time, that I'm a member of the strictest sect of our religion, Pharisee. And in verse 6, uh, how my hope is in what God has promised our ancestors, meaning the Messiah, and that I believe, in verse 8, that God raises from the dead. But now listen to the details. He says, I, like my fellow Jews, was opposed to the name of Jesus. In verse 9 and verse 11, he says, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Uh, do you remember the movie and play Les Mis? Les Miserables? I mean, do you remember the inspector? Oh, that evil, tenacious persecutor that would not let up on Jean-Paul Jean and, and just after him and after him. That was the Apostle Paul. 
killing, locking up, and even torturing Christians. It says in the text that he even got people to blaspheme God, obviously implying through torture. That was Paul. Now, you discover the grace of God. What do you do? You're, you're smitten. You're converted forever. God loved you. You were the prodigal son, and God loved you. Now what do you do? You cannot hold back. You have to tell other people about this God of love and grace. So Paul gives us the graphic details of his conversion, and we have this three different times in the book of Acts where he falls down from this blinding light, he hears the voice that says, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And Paul asks in verse 15, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You persecute my people, you persecute me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it touching to know when things are said or done against you that Jesus feels it? that you're the body of Christ. He's the head. You're connected to him. And he's in this with you. So Paul concludes in verse 19 and 20, this is why I preach to everybody, both Jews and Gentiles, to repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their good deeds. And Paul rejects any sectarianism. He says, I'm not a, a divisive person. I believe in nothing other than what the Bible said, that there's a Messiah coming. He came, and I believe it. And so Festus finally interrupts Paul. He must have heard the tone of Paul's speaking, that this had gone from a courtroom to a pulpit. No doubt. And, and Festus says, Paul, you are insane. Verse 24. Your great learning has driven you mad. Really, it really is true. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and you are believing that he rose from the dead, are you out of your mind? But if you are a rational person, if you have thought it through, why people would be willing to die for their faith in Jesus Christ, why someone like Paul would convert so radically, isn't it logical and rational that he did rise from the dead? It was C.S. Lewis, the atheist turned Christian, that said, uh, it's not that there is, the idea of God in heaven is a myth, it's, it's more like this. If there's a longing in me to know the face of God, if there's a longing in me for a place I've never been to, if there's a longing in me for the love of God and for purpose in life, it makes more logical sense that I was made for something else besides this world and that the other world must be true rather than saying it's logical that it isn't true. And so Paul says, I am not insane. And then he turns to Agrippa. He says, what I'm saying is reasonable and true, 
And the king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because this was not done in a corner, this crucifixion and resurrection. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Do you know? He's he's saying, you know, the buses will wait. King Agrippa, you can raise your hand right now to accept Jesus. He's, 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 He's given the altar call right there in in the courtroom. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the Bible? In other words, I know you do. And King Agrippa responds, he says, do you think that you in such a short time can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul, he's in the zone right now. And he says, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but everyone here in the court that's listening to me today may become what I am, a Christian, only without these chains. Hallelujah, Paul. You didn't back down. You didn't go for the peripheral stuff. You stayed on target on the core of what it means to be a Christian the crucifixion of Jesus Christ for your sins and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to give you hope. And that is what you believe as a Christian. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. That's why when people come through the door here, we don't make secondary issues the issue to be a part of us here today because we don't want anybody tripping over any other secondary issue to get to Jesus. To get to Jesus. There was a time when I had to take a stand as a pastor back at the Ralph Shopping Center. There were people putting up uh, posters of, of, of fetuses that had been aborted and, and, and making people sign a petition as they were coming to church that they were against abortion. And I am not a fan of abortion, I have huge compassion for anyone who's been through that horrible, horrible ordeal, but I'm not a fan of it. But that is not a requirement to get to Jesus. That is not a requirement to go to church. In fact, we want all people with all kinds of sin and all kinds of background to be able to come freely to discover the love of Jesus Christ. And the church has to circle back regularly and come back, what is the core? What is the core? And that, my friends, is the core. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Let me give you the parable of the fish taco. Some of you are newbies to Southern California. You're not aware of the fact that the fish taco did not always exist in Southern California. You just thought it just has always been here. We surfers know that you had to go south of the border to get a fish taco. We'd go down and surf K-38, and and on our way back through Rosarita, there was a stand where you could get a fish taco. We we hadn't clue what kind of fish it was or what kind of uh, oil it was being cooked in, but they were good. (laughs) And then Wahoo and Rubio's decided to bring them over the border. This is the truth. And since that, over the last 30 years, you can find fish tacos everywhere. 
you not only find them at uh, Filiberto's and Juanita's, uh, and you can find them at uh, uh, Casa de Bandini, you can find them at Las Olas, you can find them even at Jake's and Chart House and Pacific Coast. Everybody's got fish tacos. But do you know they all make fish tacos different? Some got green sauce, some got white sauce, some got red sauce, just salsa. Some got cheese, some don't got cheese. Some have cabbage, some have lettuce. Some are corn, some are flour. They, they come in all shapes and sizes. But do you know what makes a fish taco a fish taco? Fish and a tortilla. The rest is secondary. Do you know what it makes and takes to make a Christian? It's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection and me saying, I believe. That's what is the core of being a Christian. So my friends, these are critical days we are going into. And you may be mocked, you may be littled, you may be characterized as this or that. Um, don't swing for the ball. It's a slider. It's a change-up. It's high and inside. Don't swing. We want the fastball right over the plate the cross, and the resurrection. If that's what I'm charged for, I am guilty. I'm guilty as charged. But I won't be led astray in these last days to be known for just something else or accused of something else. Because the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Let's pray. Mm. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the exhibit of Paul, our leader uh, in the book of Acts, to show us how to shine in difficult, difficult times and to stand for you and you alone. And Father, we pray as we stand with our partners around the world who are being persecuted and as we go through our own sometimes belittling or mockery, uh, God, we pray that we would be the people who would shine for you. Do this work in our lives and take us back to the core of what it means to follow Jesus. And this morning while we're praying, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you may be right at the crossroads of needing to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never made it or maybe you made it a while back, but you realize that God's speaking to your heart right now and this is the moment you need to come clean and decide, yes, I believe that he died for my sins and I believe he rose from the dead and yes, I too am a follower of Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand where you are just slip it up in the air and, and I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, God bless you way, way, way in the back and God bless you over here to my left. Thank you, sir. And you, ma'am, right over here to my right, straight ahead, both of you. God bless you.
Who else? This is, this is for you. This is soul business. You're deciding the future of your soul and what you're going to stand for and live for. Anyone else? Yes, God bless you. Way in the back. Thank you. If you raise your hand, would you pray this prayer with me quietly as I pray it out loud? Lord, I surrender today to the core of the gospel. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. Lord, fill me with your spirit this day because today I am fully a follower of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.